Good morning, church. My name is Ryan Markle. I have the privilege of being up here and sharing scripture with you today. Uh, if you would like to turn to uh, Book of Ephesians, chapter 6, we'll be reading verses 10 through 18. My name is Ryan Markle, and uh, I have the privilege also of being here with my wife, and we lead a group on Friday nights, 6.30, called Celebrate Recovery. That's where all of us in our brokenness can come and join in Christ to find healing and victory. So if you'll follow with me in Ephesians. The armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you, have, you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Ryan, thank you. Like I said earlier, my name is Joe, and I'm one of the guys who gets to get up here occasionally and talk with you all about the Jesus that I love. And um, Pastor Casey is on vacation this week. He and his family are currently driving somewhere across, well, by this time of morning, they're past Missouri. They're somewhere in Illinois and heading towards the East Coast. And so... Um, I pray, as you know, as you guys pray for them, for safety in their travels, and just for this to just be a rejuvenating and refreshing trip. Um, but today, I, I've got to address something uh, before we get into our message. Uh, this last week was a uh, this last week was a pretty big week. There was a there was a large decision made that's outside of the hands of anyone in this room uh, that has affected people pretty profoundly. There's, uh, there's, there are people who are walking in here today who, uh, because of a decision that was made, are joyful. And um, they're, they're joyful that, that they're getting to see the culmination of something they've been praying for for years. Uh, there are others who are walking in here, and today is a day of grief, a day of sorrow, a day of fear. And the truth of the matter is, is that it's the church's responsibility to recognize the Omega Day, the image of God in every person, regardless of how they respond to events that are around them. Regardless of if they respond in a way that we would, that we would like for them to respond, regardless if they respond in a way that is in agreement with us or in disagreement with us, the responsibility of the church doesn't change. And that is to love Christ and love others. And our stance here at Westside is to join people in their joy 
and join people in their sorrow. And wrap the family of God around their family regardless. And so today, I want to take a moment before we get started and I want to pray. Um, I want to pray for folks who have, um, who, who have felt that their world has been turned upside down. I want to pray for folks who are joyful. I want to just pray. And, um, and then we'll hop into our message. So if you would join me, I'd appreciate it. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I just want to say that I am humbled. I am humbled by the responsibility that, that you have given me to share your gospel. I also am humbled by the opportunity that you've given all of us to, to, be, uh, to be your love in today's day and age. I pray today that the, that the people who are the people who are celebrating are celebrating in you and that the people who are grieving find their way to your loving arms. And that as a church that we can stand together and bring to light your image in the life of everyone around us. And so, Lord, I give you today, I pray that it is honoring and glorifying to you. In your name I pray, amen. So I'd like to welcome everyone to week three of Grace Swagger. Grace Swagger has been a, Grace Swagger is and uh, has, has been for the last three weeks the seri a series over the book of Ephesians. And we've been wrestling through a series big idea that we are going to conclude today. And our series big idea that we've been wrestling through is I am empowered with a grace swagger as I sit in the presence of God, walk in his spirit, and stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. I am empowered with a grace swagger. A grace swagger is a confidence that is not my own. It is an unearned but given confidence to those who belong to Christ. I'm empowered with a grace swagger as I sit in the presence of God and let him fill me up. Walk in his spirit. That means walk in the way of humility, gentleness, and patience, and love. And stand firm against the attacks of the enemy. I mean, you guys get this idea of swagger. I got to experience this firsthand last weekend. I was at the swimming pool, and um, I've got three daughters, and uh, two of them, they process the world this way. I see a problem, I'm going to jump into it, and I'm going to figure it out when I get there. That's my oldest and my youngest. My middle daughter, I said this in first service, I'll say it again, she's smart. Um... She looks at problems and contemplates them and kind of figures out how's, what's the best way to approach this and how am I going to get hurt the least? Well, this last weekend, I took my middle daughter and my, who, who wades her way into the zero entry at the swimming pool, doesn't just jump in, and I took my four-year-old. Well, when Hope, my oldest, was about four, we were at a friend's pool party, and she did the same thing that Lily did to my four-year-old this last weekend, which is they saw the swimming pool and they decided, well... I'm supposed to be over there, and the fastest way for me to get to that end is for me to jump in on this end and just see if I can get there. So that's what they did. They couldn't swim, but they had the confidence that said, it's going to be okay. And they just went, and they ran, and they jumped, and under their own power, it didn't work out. Luckily, in both situations, you know, 
it, it, with hope, there was another gentleman who was there. He grabbed her up out of the water, put her on the side. It took about 20 seconds for her to try again. And um, again, she doesn't think these things through. Uh, and with Lily, I was right there. I grabbed her, put her up out of the water. I said, hey, this you know, is a bad plan. And, and she immediately looked at me and said, let's go on the slide. And so they don't learn. Um, but they have this confidence that's built on what they think of themselves. And that's not what Grace Swagger is. Grace Swagger is a confidence that's built and founded upon the one that lives inside of us, not ourselves. It's a confidence that says, regardless of the situation, I know who I am, why I'm here, and what I'm supposed to do, and nobody's going to change that. And this is what we've been wrestling through for these last few weeks. And we see in the book of Ephesians that Paul provides three things to the church in Ephesus and to our church today. He provides some encouragement. He provides, a ch- he provides direction and provides a challenge. In week one, we got to experience this encouragement. And if you missed week one, I encourage you to go back and listen to this. Because who doesn't need words of encouragement? Who doesn't need words of, of mercy, of acceptance, of of love in this day and age. And Jesus, we, we see through the Apostle Paul what Jesus says about those who call him Lord. He calls us loved. He calls us complete. He calls us confident. He calls us adopted. He calls us his. There's words that we need to hear. It's our identity in who Jesus says we are. We sat and listened and we learned that we, we sat and listened and learned an incredible truth about how we are encouraged by God and how we understand the power of his grace. You see, we understand the power of grace as we sit in the presence of God, let his spirit fill us up and show us our true identity. And last week we talked about how out of that new identity and out of that filling of grace, we should be compelled to live in a new way. And how we live out of that new identity with new action and and through new character. We get to see that we rest in that new identity. We rest in the truth of who Jesus says we are. and and, And because of that, we take new action in situations where we may not have had the confidence to do so before. And we do this based on a new character. And what is our grace swagger? Our grace swagger is a walk of humility, gentleness, and patience. It's a walk that thinks of others and God before we think of ourselves. That's gentle with our words and our deeds. And is patient and patiently forgives and walks with people and walks them back to the throne of Jesus. This is the walk of grace swagger. This is the walk of that unearned but given confidence. And this week, we're going to be given a challenge. We're going to be given a challenge to stand firm. With this same grace swagger. But it's a challenge that we can't meet under our own power. You see, my grace swagger is founded in a strength that is not my own. It's founded in a strength that is given to me because of who lives inside of me, not because of, who I, not because of the way I was born or anything that I can do. It is a grace, it is a confidence, it is a strength that comes from who lives inside of me. It's a confidence that I can't muster, it must be given to me. When I was young, um, my Uncle Kermit used to take me to the Kansas Coliseum to watch professional wrestling. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I loved professional wrestling. Okay? I loved the Macho Man Randy Savage and Brutus the Barber Beefcake and the Legion of Doom. And I loved Hulk Hogan. 
okay? I woke up saying my prayers, eating my vitamins, and doing my other things that he told me to do. Because when I looked at Hulk Hogan, I didn't know the secret then. I know the secret now. But when I looked at Hulk Hogan, I thought this was the strongest man that God had ever created. That Samson was a weakling in comparison to Hulk Hogan. Okay? And I'd go to these events and I'd see Hulk Hogan down there wrestling the bad guy. Wrestling Andre the Giant or King Kong Bundy or Earthquake or some other behemoth that he had to body slam. And... The same thing would happen every single time, but I didn't really catch on until I got a little bit older, but I want to share this part with you. See, he would start to get beaten up, and then something would happen. The whole crowd would start to chant his name, and then all of a sudden, he had this strength. And every kid in that room thought it was because of us. Every kid in that room thought it was because we gave him our strength. You see, it was an artificial strength. It's, I know, like I said, I know the secret now. But we had confidence in the fact that our strength could empower him to beat the bad guy. We would rest on it. Everybody, every kid that walked into the Coliseum or any other place that Hulk Hogan wrestled, they believed it with every ounce of being that they had. And that is the level of confidence that we can have because the, the strength that's given to us that is not of us is not artificial. But it is from with outside of us. It is a strength that is not our own. And I love what Ryan said at the very beginning of this. Because he explains who is this strength from. In Ephesians 6.10, he began reading. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty strength. You see, that is a strength that is not my own. That is a strength that I can't muster. It is a strength that is above and beyond me. It's not artificial. There is no secret. It's only God. The strength, the strength from the Lord, the strength that parted the water of the Red Sea to help the Israelites escape captivity. The same strength that closed the mouths of the lions and kept Daniel safe overnight. That kept Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego safe in the fiery furnace. The same strength, the same strength that brought the dead back to life. The same strength that sacrificed itself and conquered death, hell, and the grave. So that we could go and meet Jesus and spend eternity with him. That is the strength that when we, when, we ex, when we repent of our sins, submit to Jesus as Lord and accept him as Savior, that is the strength that lives inside of us that we are given. It is not our own. And it is the strength by which we can stand in grace swagger. When the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, we are given a strength that is beyond us and we are equipped to stand firm you see i am equipped to stand firm in grace swagger by the holy spirit i am equipped to stand firm in grace swagger i'm equipped to stand firm in an unearned but given confidence by the holy spirit the apostle paul writes this in ephesians 6 verse 11 it says put on the full armor of god so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities against the powers of the dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms you see this is not something that is new was new to the people in ephesus you know one of the things we talked about in these last few weeks is the similarities between ephesus and the united states today i want to bring that even closer to home 
There, was a, there were examples where you got to see in Ephesus that this was the cultural center of that, that part of the world. This was the intellectual center, the financial center. This was the societal center of that area of the world. It was also the people that Paul was talking to. That was the army of the time. Those were the men who put on the armor and went and fought the people who were around us. And every week I walk in here and I'm humbled by the fact that I sit in a room with heroes. People who have chosen, men and women who have chosen to sacrifice for me and you. Men and women who understand what war is. Paul was writing to a people who understood what war was. But he was saying, this is a war that's not against your neighbor. This is a war not against an invading country. This is a war against something much more powerful. This is a war that you can't win on your own. But this is a war in which we can't retreat. We must stand. We are to stand against the schemes of the devil. We are to stand for Christ and each other when we face the schemes of the enemy. We are to, when he comes with his weapons of discouragement, distraction, and division, we are to stand firm. We are to stand when he tries to divide the church against itself. We are to stand when he tries to discourage us by saying the truth that we hold dear is not absolute truth, even though it's the only objective truth that's ever been written. We are to stand firm when he attempts to distract the church from, its soul, from what its responsibility is, which is to lovingly and graciously live out and preach a gospel of repentance, submission, and grace. We must stand firm and we must be ready to counter his attacks. And we've been given two ways to do that. You see, I stand firm in grace swagger. I stand firm in that unearned but given confidence by putting on the full armor of God. I stand firm by putting on the full armor of God. I love it. It's in Ephesians 6.13, it says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, then stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We have been given the tools by which we stand, but we have to understand them. We're to stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around our waist. My friends, Jesus calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. The belt is what holds it all together. And if Jesus says he is the truth, then he is what holds this all together. We stand firm. We stand in confidence because of who our leader is. And his name is Jesus. And he's buckled around our waist and he holds it all together. We stand firm. We stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness. That means we, we stand firm in a way, not in perfection, but because we have been made the righteousness of God through the Holy Spirit. 
We stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. We stand with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. You see, this is, this is where we got to make sure we understand. We're fitted. We're supposed to take peace with us wherever our feet go. We are to wage peace. This is why we've been given these things. It's not because we're peacemakers or peacekeepers. It's because we're peace wagers. Wherever we go, peace should follow. Because the one who we serve, the one who's buckled the truth, the belt of truth, he is the prince of peace. We are to wage peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. In this world, Scripture says we will have troubles. And as Christ followers, we will face attacks from the enemy. Attacks of discouragement, division, and distraction. And our responsibility is to stand firm, hold our shield of faith, our faith that is founded not in ourselves, but in the one who lives inside of us, will repel the flaming arrows of the evil one because his, his power, his arrows hold no power in comparison to the one who came, died, and rose again. And we are to take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of, spirit, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And when Jesus was approached with these things, and don't get me wrong, because Jesus was, was, was tempted the same ways that we are. When he was tempted, his response was the Word of God. His response was Scripture. His response was, Thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test. Man does not live upon bread alone. His response that drove away the enemy was the absolute, unchanging, never-ending truth of the Word of God. This is how we are equipped. These are the tools for, for war which, which we have been given, the things through which we can stand firm and not retreat. But it doesn't stop there. Because we have also been given access to the one who guides our steps. We've been given access to the one who will teach us how to use these tools, who will teach us how to, how to stand firm. We've been given access, in essence, to the general, the guy with the battle plan, through prayer. You see, I stand in the full armor of God through prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. In, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions. My friends, there is power in prayer. There is power in this. There is power that comes with prayer, and it's an amazing gift that we have been given access to God Almighty at all times. His phone never hangs up. And he is the one who can equip us to stand, who can teach us how to use the tools by which we have been, that we have been given through the Holy Spirit to stand firm. You see, we are empowered with a grace swagger through faith, filled prayer we've been empowered with a grace swagger through faith-filled prayer the book of james lays this out incredibly well it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective 
The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. How powerful is it? I mean, listen, when, when Elijah, Elijah went to God, pled, pled with God for the life, the life of a dead child of a widow, and the dead child came back to life. That's the power of prayer. We've seen, we saw Samson stand and pray for strength to return to him. And he was able to, he, he, he was able to overcome in the day. We, we, we get to see the power of prayer all throughout Scripture. Peter, the power of prayer, set him loose from captivity in a way that the guards didn't even know he was gone when it happened. And he showed up at the house of the place where they were praying for him and knocked on the door. The power of prayer is immense. When we go to Jesus with faith, and don't get me wrong, this idea of the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, I don't want you to miss this part about being a righteous person because, listen, if you have come to Jesus with repentance, submission to him as Lord, and have received him as Savior, 1 Corinthians tells us that we are made the righteousness of God. So when we go to him in faith, we go to him as a righteous person. And the, pow- the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And, is the, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive through the power of prayer. So friends, we have this opportunity to go in prayer. I love john 15 7 says it says if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you now listen i am not sitting here saying that if you go to jesus and you want money he's going to give you money i'm not saying that if you go to jesus and you want a new car he's going to give you a new car this isn't the old janice joplin song which says oh lord won't you buy me a mercedes benz this is not what this is (laughs) If you abide in Christ and his words abide in you, then his desires will be your desires and you will go to him and say, Lord, if it is in your will, heal. If it is in your will, strengthen. If it is in your will, give endurance. And if it is, in, if it is not in your will, give me the strength to abide anyway. You see, when we go to him out of the, out of out of being, having sat in his presence and walking in his spirit, and we go to him as a righteous, and that righteousness comes out of us, he will give us what we ask for because what we ask for is what he wants. So we can have confidence, an unearned but given confidence, but we can have confidence to stand firm regardless of our circumstances. And our teaching big idea for today is this. And this is what we do to enact this and move forward. Is I will pray in faith for the strength of the one who lives inside of me. And stand firm regardless of circumstances. Regardless of what's going on around me. Regardless of what's going on in my home. 
regardless of what's going on at my workplace, regardless of what's going on in my neighborhood, in my city, in my state, in my nation, in society as a whole. I can stand firm. I will pray for in faith for the strength of the one who lives inside of me. The same strength, like we said earlier, that raised Jesus from the dead is the strength that lives inside of us. And we see, in John, we, we see that oftentimes we overlook how much this strength is. But, but we see in 1 John 4, 4, it says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You see, the power that lives inside of me is greater than any circumstance that may be going on. The, one, the power that lives inside of me means that I can sit in his presence and be filled with that power, and I'll get to know it better. It means I can have confidence to walk that out. It means that if I have come to him out of repentance and submission and have received him as Lord, then I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that the answer to those four questions that we talked about the last two weeks of what are we saved from, what are we saved by, what are we saved to, and what are we saved for can ring true in my life where I will live with grace swagger because I am saved from death by grace into new life for God. I can sit in his presence and trust in his power. And when I do, I I can say that I will live with grace swagger. I will live with confidence because I am saved from death by grace into new life. For God. I can walk out my grace swagger because I am saved from death by grace into new life for God. I can stand firm regardless of situations because I have been saved from death by grace into new life for God. You see, my friends, there is a confidence that comes because of who lives inside of us. And today may be a day where you're sitting here and honestly saying, that's not a confidence that I have. But I look at my life and I realize that I've been trying to do this by myself. That can change today. We talked about the power of prayer. And there is one prayer that, is more, that, that I will tell you is the most powerful thing you will It's a prayer of repentance and submission. Because the second that is prayed, the dead comes to life. Darkness turns to light. And new life is lived. So friends, today, if that's where you're at, we're going to have prayer partners while they're singing this next song. There's going to be prayer partners along the edge and after service. I would encourage you to go pray with them. But if you've also got an area of your life that you haven't given over to God and let him have, I pray that today is the day when you let that loose, when you give it to him and you you say, Jesus, this is all yours. I can't do this on my own. So that together we can stand and say, I will live with grace swagger because I am saved from death by grace into new life. love you, Westside. Amen. I love you. <laughs> well, hello, Westside. Welcome back.